0: Welcome to the Rev Engine Podcast, where we help B2B CEOs and revenue leaders get clarity on how to align sales and marketing, build a high performing revenue engine, and accelerate revenue growth for their organizations. I'm your host, Jeff Davis, author of award winning book Create Togetherness and founder of Rev Engine. Let's jump into the show. Hello, everybody. It is Jeff Davis, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Rev Engine Podcast. I am really excited to bring a special guest on today, Dale Prale. Just to remind you, as always, that our podcast is focused on helping B two B revenue leaders and CEOs strategically align sales and marketing, build a high-performing revenue engine and accelerate revenue growth. That is what we're here for today. So as I said before, we have somebody very, very special on the podcast that has done a number of different things. And I want him to get into his journey, his professional journey, because I think it's an interesting one, but he's been a CMO, he's been a CRO, he's been recognized several times. Just to give you a little context of who this gentleman is. Uh, that we have today. Daryl is a CMO of Agorapulse. He is a top 50 keynote speaker, an award-winning revenue leader and creator, as I said, a social media influencer and a serial entrepreneur, which means that he's not doing a lot of stuff. He's just chilling, not busy at all. And he also has raised $100 million in revenue capital and only been fired once. So we may also <laughs> tap into what happened there on the back end of the, of the conversation. But Daryl, with that said, tell us a little bit about your journey, who you are, and then
1: we'll dive into the conversation. Thank you so much, my friend. Th- doesn't Jeff have a great voice? Just got to say that out loud. <laughs> I'm, I well, am professionally you. jealous. Okay, my journey. For those who don't know, uh, by education, I am a computer programmer. And no one says computer programmer anymore, right? I would be in modern day parlance, a systems engineer. Let's get that correct. And then when I finished university, I did not want to do that anymore because that meant staring at a screen all day. And uh, so what do you do? What do you do when you don't know what you want to do? You go into sales. So I started selling copiers, photocopiers, door to door. And it was a different era, right? Literally, they said, great, this is your territory. There's a binder with some flip charts on the features for each product and the specs go and there was no sales enablement there was no training there was no nothing no objection handling no how to do discovery nothing and i would walk up to every mom and pop store in the industrial strip malls and say hey do you need a photocopier i sucked at that i lasted six months and then i went into i went back to coding for five years and from that i went from to coding to product management to product marketing to marketing and then i had this back and forth dual career of being a marketer, being a salesperson, being a marketing executive, being a sales executive. So yeah, I've been a CMO. I've been a VP of sales. I've been a chief sales officer. I just left Vanilla Software. I was a CRO for five years. A yeah. Vanilla a Sales Engagement Platform. We compete with uh, Sales and Outreach. And now I'm at Agorapulse. I actually made a dramatic shift. Agorapulse, for those who don't know, is a social media management platform. So they would compete with companies like Hootsuite or Sprout Social to manage all of your social media profiles and your interaction because that's where the conversation is these days. And I went back from being zero to being, like I always do in my career, back to the marketing side to being a CMO. And I think for me, the reason is I can take owning the quota for several years at a time. And then I'm like, okay, this sucks. This is a lot of pressure. One day I'm a hero because I hit it. And the next day I'm a zero again because it's a new month, it's a new quarter. <laughs> um so that's my story. <laughs> I now just categorize myself as a revenue guy, whether it's top yeah. of funnel, bottom of funnel, or the whole funnel. I'm a revenue guy.
0: Well, and that's what I love about your background because when I back in the day transitioned from sales to marketing, which you know it has become easier, but back then it was like you just didn't you just didn't do it. Like you were in sales, and I remember you know when I interviewed to transition to marketing, people were like, "But you're a sales guy," and I'm like but I just got an MBA in marketing. Why is this a difficult transition? So there was this chasm between sales and marketing. And I never understood it because I'm like, we are one and the same and actually need each other. So it should be a little bit easier to flow between the two, but neither here nor there. So what I love about your background is you've been able to successfully transition between both. And I think it gives you a unique perspective because majority of sales leaders, marketing leaders have grown up within the function and many times while they're successful they have gaps right in their in their knowledge or understanding their visibility et etc I think you alleviate that by your ability to to switch between the two so I say all that to say you know as I understand it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong the CR position really C R O S position really grew a lot out of tech like I used, I saw it when it started to emerge it was really out of tech it wasn't across all industries so kind of give us the history as you know it, of how the CRO position was born? Are there industries that are new to it? Have you, have you seen growth in it across industries? Kind of what does that look like to you?
1: So this, the CRO position is an interesting position. To your point, it really did grow out of tech. It kind of grew out of a, you know, who owns this role? who Who's, you know, there's a problem, who can fix it? And I'll explain what that is. The funny okay. part is you talk about your marketing background. When I say CRO to a lot of the young marketers, who are truly just marketers, they have no sales experience. Their immediate reaction is, oh, you do conversion rate optimization. It's no, no, no. I'm the chief revenue <laughs> officer. And like, really? Never heard of that one. I'm like, you've never heard of a CRO? So that's the marketing conversation you'll have quite often. So the purpose of the CRO, CRO role, which is different from, say, a VP of sales or a VP of marketing, is truly just to generate alignment. Now, what does that mean? Well, To your point, you talked about, you know, what you're in marketing, what, you know, you can't, you're in sales. You can't go into marketing. There was always this division. And that's why the biggest topic for years and years and years was, how do you get sales and marketing aligned? That's our problem. Sales and marketing alignment. Well, you need a service level agreement. You need, and the the list would go on. CRO is a response to getting that alignment. Historically, it would be the CEO who would be the one who would say, I shall arbitrate. I shall be the person who says who's right and who's wrong when the. Individual leaders are pointing fingers at each other and blaming one another for missing their numbers, and that didn't work well because that required the CEO to understand revenue, to understand marketing, understand sales. But usually, often they were a technical or a financial background. They didn't have the skills, so the CRO is the person to unify the two teams. That's in a nutshell. That's the role. It has evolved that way. Typically, a CRO would own sales and marketing. Often customer success as well. So the whole revenue process from you know, okay. got you finding them, closing them, and then developing them, make sure they don't churn. So the whole lifetime value consideration. Both CAC, customer acquisition costs, and lifetime value would be the primary drivers of a CRO. Okay. Um, but often it's just sales and marketing. The challenge is, as happens in companies, it's getting a little watered down because a lot of people are saying, well, we can't give you the pay raise you want, but I'll change your title, I'll make you CRO. But you still only own sales. And that's where it gets which confused.
0: defeats the purpose.
1: Defeats the purpose.
0: So what would you say the biggest difference, and I, and I think you alluded to it, but I want I want to get clarity on this. What is the biggest difference between the CRO and a VP of sales?
1: So there's a couple. One is there's ban of control, you know, what okay. are you responsible for, right? The whole revenue journey, which ultimately uh, uh, typically means also the ability to handle a large group of people. And I want to stop there for a second because… For those who don't understand this, and this is really not something you understand until you've done both sides of the equation. Managing a salesperson is dramatically different than managing a marketing person. I don't just mean from what they do. I mean, in their psyche, their mentality, yeah. you know, what motivates them, You know how they behave. It's completely different. <laughs> it, 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 is, it is. It is Mars and Venus, baby, all right? It is so far apart. So a VP of sales would not know that, right? Or okay. CRO does. The other thing is the whole point of the CRO is really create alignment. And I mentioned this already, but I can't establish that enough. Alignment and sh- uh, shared purpose okay. amongst the whole revenue team. And that's huge because a lot of the conflict in an organization comes down to a he said, she said. And it can be between sales and marketing. You know, they're like cat and dog, you know, Tom and Jerry. That's, that's sales and marketing. <laughs> but it could equally be with engineering, right? Sales would say, hey, I can't sell this, not because I suck as a rep, but because the, the engineering team didn't give me a product that was competitive. Right? So it's all their fault. So the CRO is really about representing, protecting the revenue goals of, of the company. And okay. they have the skill sets to understand the different... I like to use the example of a chessboard. You know, a chessboard, you have different pieces with different moves and you use them differently. You don't all, they don't all, it's not like checkers where they all just move the same. Right. And that's the CRO. You've got different, even within sales, right? You've got the... The SDR function or the BDR function, you get the AE function, or you might have a sales engineer and in marketing, you know, it's a variety of systems as well. Mm-hmm. So it's the ability to recognize how and when to use all those pieces to achieve a, 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 the business goals and objectives is what is very different from either a VP of sales or a VP of marketing. Now, okay, many of those VPs will disagree with me what I just said, just so you know.
0: That's all good. That's why we're on the show. We wanna create a little <laughs> create a little uh, you know, a little something, something for folks. So no, that's helpful because I, I you know, as I interact with companies across different industries, especially when I was doing a lot of keynote speaking, it was a role that was not present in all organizations. So I just wanted to kind of set the stage and set some foundation of so people understood what a CRO, because again, those listening may not have the function in their organization. I will say to your point about the difference between managing salespeople and marketing people, I to this day say that the the hardest transition in my professional career was going from a a seller to a marketer. It was a different mindset. It was a different language. I had to really shift the way that I approached doing business. So it is much tougher than people. Well, let me say for me, uh, other people may disagree you know, with me. I think it's a, one of it the toughest about- transitions.
1: It's dramatically different. It is, And it's no different than saying, is a salesperson the same as an engineer? Well, they're not, right? But I mean, we kind of have this opinion, well, on the money side, sales, marketing, it's all the same. We lump them together. They're not dramatically different
0: people. No. So
1: with that said, what are
0: you seeing as some of the top challenges for today's CRO in B2B?
1: So, I mean, some of this is a byproduct of people not understanding the role. And some of this is just a function of the role. So. A lot of it is them. So for a zero, most people become a zero by coming up through one channel. I come up through the sales side or I come up through the marketing side. And by the way, 95% of the time it's the sales side.
0: Yes. And we'll get into that too. Cause I want to have that conversation okay. as well.
1: <laughs> and then suddenly they say, Hey, you're really talented. You're really smart. We're going to put you in charge of sales and marketing and way to go. Do your thing so the biggest challenge is they don't understand truly understand the other craft that they just were given so if you're a sales you know veteran you yeah. don't understand the marketing craft and the biggest obstacle is they think they do and okay which is the nature of sales sales is like i am super confident i'm going to take this down i'm just going to push through it i'm a driver and you know that approach will Will cause massive failure with marketing. And then they start to understand why the marketers aren't aligning with their school of their thought process or their motivation, et cetera. So it's the Peter principle. Often these CROs are overpromoted because they think they understand it. They talk a good game, but they actually really don't. So it's mm-hmm. understanding the craft. So if, if you have become a CRO and you're up through one side. My goodness, folks, take out a whole bunch of VPs of marketing or CMOs and ask them to share with you how to manage their team, how to motivate the team, how to hold them accountable. It's to get into the psyche of the typical marketer. That's a big, big, big shortcoming. Because marketers can smell that a mile away. Oh, they're just a sales guy with a different title. And it's, I'm not going to follow true. them because they're an idiot. It's, right? It's very true. Yes. So some of that is just the, that's the first problem. They don't have the skill set. Second problem is this is the big one, is they don't get them aligned. So, they will continue to have, even though I'm a CRO and I'm my role is to unify. They continue to keep the two teams functionally separate and isolated, and they're, they don't okay. bring the teams together on shared purpose. I use the example: the first time I became a CRO, it took me like two months to figure that one out. It sounds stupid, but I'm like, nothing's changing. I'm the CRO. Why has nothing gotten better? I've talked to them and then i realized it's because they were just they were comfortable the two teams were to continue doing what they always did so you got to bring them around the same table and explain to them their function i'll use a sports analogy like a typical dude when i'm talking <laughs> to the team and i'll say listen guys let's think about any sports team i'll use soccer at any time on the soccer f- on the soccer pitch You have your offensive people out there and your defensive people out there, right? You've got both sides and the ball's moving up and down the field. And we understand that certain players are playing certain positions. And if we all do our job together, we should win. The people, the striker, the people on the offense should not be doing the defense. That's not their skill set and vice versa. So when you explain that, that we play a role, marketer is your top of funnel. All right. And you're going to do all this. And then you're going to hand the ball over to the sales team and they're bottom of funnel. All right. And you need each other, unless sales, you're telling me you can go find all those leads all on your own. You don't need marketing. And then of course they will panic when you say that the idea of prospecting is scary to them. That's even though it's
0: opinion. fundamental to being a good salesperson, but kind of a okay. fundamental to it. That's but a, yeah, yeah, they don't conversation. Want to
1: conversation. <laughs> And uh, and it's a point of gaining them in a shared vocabulary and a shared purpose and making sure that they work together as opposed to against each other. All of those that I just talked about, here's yeah. the irony. What I just talked about is not marketing skills and it's not sales skills. It's soft skills and leadership skills, which okay. there's a huge failure in corporate America today to teach those soft skills. You know We get promoted because we're successful in our functional role. And then we're expected to become this leader, which relies nothing on the skills of our functional role and relies totally on the soft skills, Yeah. And but they have any compass with that. So the CRO is a particularly vulnerable to that because unlike, say, somebody who's in a support role or somebody who's in an engineering role, the sales organization is the quintessential person that'll say, F you, I'm not doing it your way. Mm-hmm. Right. And marketing is a little less pronounced, but they will do the same. They'll just quit. Marketers will just quit. What what do they call it? Quiet
0: quiet quitting? (laughs) They'll just do quiet quitting. Exactly.
1: (laughs) So that's your biggest challenge. It's people and understanding, you know, shared goals and and creating a, a shared purpose. Nice.
0: I love it. So switching a little bit to kind of the business of being a CRO. So, you know, I've been, anybody that knows me for more than 15 seconds knows I've been talking about the dysfunctional relationship between sales and marketing for what seems like years. Uh, And I have said sales and marketing alignment so many times out of my mouth. I literally wish I was paid for every time I said it. Do you see today that it is still the challenge for most organizations? I guess that would be the first question. And then second one, is it a priority for majority of CEOs? Is it on their short list? (laughs) You can answer the second one first if you want to.
1: Oh, I'm just laughing. (laughs) <laughs> you don't want to know. You don't want to know no, no, how no, many we times do. we have this. Co- we when we know when we we sit with our executive peers. You don't want to know how many times we have this conversation. I was at a, last Friday. I was in a room full of eighty plus uh, CMOS. Okay, and uh, it, was a, it was a workshop. I was also doing a bit of a presentation. Doesn't matter. The point is because it was eighty and we were in this small little room and then was, so it wasn't not eight hundred. It was eighty and we we're all CMOS. You start to share, like, is your CEO this way? Is your head of sales this way? And it's like this, this, it's like this bonding thing we connect on about the challenges we have. Okay, so is sales and marketing still an issue? Yes, and is it the CEO's fault? Yes. Mm -hmm. I will just stop. Full stop there. I agree. It's CEO's fault, and the CEOs, you know, they became CEO because they have the drive and passion, and they have the ability to have an opposing point of view and tune out and be singularly focused. They're often so focused on their goal that they don't see that they're the one at fault here. I have more CMOs come to me and say, yeah, my CEO called me into the office today to give me grief about the wording on an email subject line. And this is the kind of shit, excuse the language, that (laughs) drives us nuts. It's like really if the CEO... Is challenging the wording on an email subject line. The CEO is not understanding marketing at all. And that's a common occurrence. Yeah. The other part, the other part is the CEOs often were successful because they were control freaks. But as the company scales, you can't do that anymore, but they still want to be control freaks. And where do they, they, they often, they'll say, Oh, I don't know finance. So I'm not going to control that. I, and I, and I don't know how to code. So I'm not going to control that, but I have an opinion on messaging or color. Or what have you? So right. I'm going to insert myself there because I'm a I'm a rock star. I have an ego. I, and hey, more power to you. I just sound like I'm disparaging every CEO out there. I'm not. This is just the shea stereotypical things that drive marketers and sales leaders nuts because they do the same thing on sales. Yeah. So it is the CEO's fault, and that's why the CRO became, has come to be popular. It's their response. To, the self aware CEOs will say, "This is not my gifting." Mm-hmm. But I, my gifting is to recognize that this is a problem and it's affecting our success. And I'm going to go backfill it with somebody smarter than I am to solve this problem. That's a good CEO. And yeah. people like myself, you, probably you, know enough now with time when we're interviewing for the next job, we're not interviewing necessarily you know, the product or the service they sell. We're interviewing, is that CEO gifted enough to let me do my job, which is why you're hiring me in the first place? It's true. That's what we're interviewing. Why is there sales and marketing alignment? How much time do you got, brother? I mean, we'll you know have the you drill. back. That's a
0: really that's a really long podcast. That's <laughs> so a long-winded answer. I wrote a whole book about it.
1: <laughs> but I had this conversation of the day, just anecdotal. Like, you know, so the big, the short answer is they're focused on different timelines and different measurable outcomes. That's the yeah. short answer, and they don't understand that. But I, I had this conversation the, the day with a, a CMO and they were so frustrated and they're like, Daryl, I have a service level agreement with my head of sales and they still ignore me and there's yeah. no, there's no consequences for ignoring me. So that's the consequences part is where the CEO failed. A CRO would arbitrate that. Yeah. And I said to them, I said, do you know your head of sales compensation structure? Do you know how they're paid and their variable goals? Mm-hmm. how they achieve that. And they said, no. I said, that's your problem. That's your problem because that head of sales is giving you lip service to shut you up so they can do what they think to do so they can achieve their variable goals. If right. It all starts at the compensation structure. You need to know that. And that's where marketing is our morons. And I can say that with respect to my fellow peers, marketers suck at understanding how to drive behavior that all starts with a comp plan, which is why somebody's in sales in the first place. Exactly. And they just assume that everybody's like them. The second way that marketers, most marketers suck at that, not most salespeople suck at, is to suck at reading a balance sheet. Sales have been forced to look at the numbers over and over again. That's the definition of their job. They learn that skill quickly. Marketers don't. So there's no commonality, no common purpose, no common language No common motivation. That's the disconnect. And that's what, that's the challenge. Yeah. And that's a good, a good seat. If the CEO, if you're a CEO listening to this and that's not your skill set, hire a CRO. It will make your life so much better. But with that
0: said, like I, I can't. Tell you how many times. So, when I started this work, I was convinced, and, and part of this was because my, you know, as a seller, I was motivated actually to go back to business school to become a marketer because literally selfishly wanted to advocate for salespeople. That, that's literally one, one of my <laughs> motivators it. to go into marketing, which is probably not the best one, or I probably shouldn't share that, but it is what it is. I wanted to get into corporate because I just felt like many times marketing did not understand what we needed because they weren't sellers. But I so many times ran into Conversations, you know, whether it be at a conference or after a keynote, where sales and market sales and marketing leaders didn't hate each other. And in many times, they were trying to work together, but they couldn't get on the short list of the CEO. They couldn't get the support they needed from the CEO. So what have you had, what have you seen be successful in say, head of sales, head of marketing. We're on the same page. We may not know exactly how to work together, but we are aligned on doing something differently, but we cannot get the support of our CEO to give us what we need. How do you start that conversation or what things have you seen be successful in order to get the CEO to recognize I need to do this differently, or maybe I do need to hire a CRO?
1: Great question. Um, so if you're in this situation right now, what I'm about to say is not probably going to give you the warm fuzzies, just so you know. Number one. That's not why we're on this show. (laughs) That's (laughs) right. is real Uh, life. (laughs) Real life, brothers and sisters. Number one, so where we go? Uh, It all starts, I I alluded to this earlier, it all starts at the interview. In other words, if you find yourself there, that your immediate takeaway is, should be, how did I get here? How did I not see this before I took the job? All Mm -hmm. right. So, That's you, you should, you need to be interviewing for that. It can, I took on the CMO job. You know, I, we negotiated the terms and conditions, not just of my salary, but of my, how I'm going to work with my CEO, the rules of engagement. We had documented, we swapped documented summaries of how the, what I need in a CEO. And he gave me what I need in a CMO. And this is how we're going to measure each other, and hold each other accountable. And we compared the notes. So we said, Okay. This looks like we're aligned or we're close or we can have some conversations, fine tune into where you go. That's where it starts. But if you find yourself in this situation now, which is where it happens to every single one of us, which is why we get better eventually at interviewing. Number one, you go to your CEO directly. They're paid to have the hard conversations and you have the hard conversation with them. If it doesn't go well, start looking for another job, all right? Because uh-huh. you're, you're never going to be successful there. A good CEO should be able to have those hard conversations. They have it with their board and their investors all the time, trust me. So- Number one, have that hard conversation, explain your expectations, get it in writing, and then hold them accountable. Circle back every quarter and say, we we agreed to this, this isn't happening. It's it's like a service level agreement between you and the CEO. Yeah. Number two, you don't want to do just one of these. You want to do all these in parallel, folks. Number two, you you look at the spheres of influence. So usually who influences the, the CEO? Well, usually it's going to be at least the CFO because they control the purse, they control all the numbers, Mm -hmm. and they listen to the CFO for whatever reason. So you're gonna engage the CFO because the CFO is as motivated as you are, as the CEO is to make sure the company is successful. And you can explain to them the challenges you're having, seek their counsel, and what'll happen is they'll do back channel influence to the CEO saying, you know, junior, you need to back off the head of marketing or the head of sales because they're trying to help you out and you are know, just making their life difficult. And then there's other spheres of influence. If you're, if you have a relationship with certain key board members or investors, or even every company's got like one or two VIPs that are revered and whom the CEO trusts. It often is somebody in the customer success or professional services area who has the ability to charm any tough prospect or turn any bitter, angry account around simply because of their knowledge of what you it is you sell and how to make it do magic. And because of that, the CEO loves this person and respects this person and they will listen to them. So it's using those spheres of influence to create allies and advocates for you to influence the CEO's behavior. Okay. But that's about it. Other than that, what you can do is you can have a formal SLA, but if the CEO decides not to follow it, despite telling you they're going to, again, it's time to move on. That's not a good fit for you.
0: Yeah. What I did itself. I miss, Jeff? I mean, there's a lot. So not in the, that you didn't cover a lot, but I, I also, I talk about it in the book that I think that one thing, and, and Tracy Eiler, I think we had this conversation, uh, it's coming to the CEO together as a as kind of an aligned front. To say like you know we've already had this conversation these are the things we want to do versus the the head of marketing or the head head of sales going in alone I think that's one approach that's helpful also to just starting to do the work like it's not going to be perfect in the beginning but if you can show whether it be through a pilot or the way the way you know ways of working differently you know where you're having you know pipeline meetings or whatever and you and you've shown progress I think you know, that's evidence to say like, look, if we, if we were to scale this and do it right, like we could even do better. Those are some of the things I've, you know, I've seen and I talk about in the book, but I just think it's a challenging conversation that I continue to ask people that have done it successfully, how they do it. Because to your point, every CEO is different.
1: The one thing you, you make a really good point about doing the work. Let me just build on that and then I'll shut up. Doing the work is, it's not, it's not just, I mean, it's doing the work. Jeff is a thousand percent right. You know, you can't, you can't, you got to do the work, guys and gals. <laughs> do, do the, the work. Sorry. <laughs> you got to do the work, all right? I, which I know is exhausting. But it's also the communication. This is something I t- again, I teach a lot of my colleagues where they're so busy being the head of, head of sales, head of marketing, and they're communicating down to their team. I said, that's only a third of the equation. You have to communicate across to your peers and up to your CEO. And I said, like, like I, I give my CEO like at least once a week, ad hoc updates on slack i'll just say hey just so you know and this is outside of my regular one-on-one and everything else it's just hey just so you know you know this yeah. is what's going on ding 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 this is my challenge you have any advice or you know let me know and then they may they'll give you advice and you may they may state the obvious they may tell you exactly what you know or they may give you awful advice either way doesn't matter <laughs> take at least one item whether you knew it or you didn't and say, that's really great. I'm going to incorporate that and I'll get back to you. Yeah. And what ends up happening is they, when they see a positive outcome and then you say, you know, thank you, you were a big part of that. Thank you for giving me that advice. Then they feel invested in your success as opposed to, a as opposed to adversaries, they become your advocate. And then yep. they learn to trust you more and more because they feel like you are communicating, you will share with them, you will take their advice. So it's about developing trust in the relationship is what it really comes down to. You mm-hmm. do the work, you intentionally seek to develop a relationship with your CEO, you will be shocked by how well that works. And by the way, it, it, when you communicate across, it's the same way, just so you know.
0: I really, really like that. I mean, I definitely 200% agree that what I've seen in my work is that communication is one of the key pillars of aligning sales and marketing, building a revenue engine. And it's one of the ones that, uh, historically marketing and sales leaders have done very poorly because we have been trained to operate in silos. So one yes. of the first things that I talk to when I'm working with either head of sales, head of marketing, and they're having this challenge is have you actually talked to your colleague and not just had a casual conversation, but actually tried to, you know, you alluded to this earlier, or you talked about this earlier, what are their goals? What are their motivations? And to tap into what are they dealing with? And so, you know, I had a head instance where it was a keynote again in the, in the, uh, the head of sales at this organization ran up to me afterwards so much. So I was a little startled. I was like, this could go really right or really left. I was like, I don't know what you want. <laughs> so, so I'm on guard, <laughs> but you know, but he shared with me, he's like, I really, I really appreciate you coming and speaking today. Like you've changed my perspective on my relationship with my, you know, head of marketing and what I was talking about was the difference between having a personal relationship and having a business relationship. And I said, you know, I've run into people, the head of sales says marketing, they get along, they like each other, they talk, but the relationship is still dysfunctional because they don't have a business relationship. And what I was saying was you need to understand that CMO or head of marketing or how you can work together in a business context to help each other be more successful in your individual functions. So sitting down and saying like, okay, CMO, what, what are your top goals and how as a sales leader, can I help you achieve those and vice versa? And he was just like, we just, we talked casually, but we never really got into the weeds about like how we could, uh, you know, with the work that we did intersects, how can we help each other be successful? So that's what I'm saying. And so to that point, you know, about communication, is you think that you're communicating, but you're really not. Like just passing each other in the hallway or being in meetings and kind of talking very high level is not the type of work that we're talking about. And I firmly believe, especially with the shift of the demands of the B2B, you know, the modern B2B buyer, that no sales or marketing leader can do this effectively alone. It has come to the point where it is impossible to be successful in this day and age and just work within your silo. Like you guys need need each other more than ever before.
1: When I was hired at when we finally, you know, went through all the T's and C's. I said, okay, so just, just this recap, what is it you're expecting me to achieve and in what timeline? Just so I know, before I signed this contract. That's a great question. And he was, he was great. He said, Daryl, three things. One, make sure we hit our, our, our revenue numbers. All right. Number one. Okay. okay. So I'm a, mar- I, remember I'm a CMO here, my marketer, and I still am on the hook for revenue numbers. Two, you're gonna in- dramatically increase our awareness in the industry, straightforward as a marketing 101. And then three, you're going to eliminate the silos. That's why I'm hiring you. I need you, because we have silos and the current people, great people, strong leaders in their craft, they don't know how to eliminate the silos. Yeah, And that's why you're gonna get the salary you're gonna get and that's why you have a C-level title. The only other C-level title was the CEO. Okay. We need the silos gone. And I said, I can do that. Thank you very much. But it's amazing. Silos is probably the biggest debilitating impact that's stopping your company from being successful today. And I give my CEO credit because he recognized he needed help. He was already working on it, but he yeah. needed another person to help him do it. Yeah. So strong CEO.
0: So CRO day one, and I love asking this question because I think a lot of folks, uh, including myself, I would say, uh, struggle with this. How do you assess the health of your lead to customer process, your revenue engine? What metrics are you looking at? How do you come in and say like, look, we we need a lifeline. We're doing okay, but we need to optimize. Or this is like, I got to completely re-engineer this because this is a hot mess. What does that look like? <laughs> you know, sometimes you've seen hot messes, whether you admit it or not, you're like, no,
1: This needs an overhaul. Oh my god! I'm just laughing. He's Jeff is hitting me right where the emotional core of my being exists when he (laughs) says, "This is a hot mess." Because I've lived (laughs) it so many times. Oh, and I love the word "hot mess" because that's nine times out of ten what it is. All right, so so, okay, where do we start? Okay, there's a lot (laughs) of places to start. (laughs) Oh my god. Okay, so. There's going to be tangible and intangible considerations when you're assessing the hot mess you have. I want to be clear on that. So let's start with the intangible. The intangible is probably almost easier. And that is you literally take time, like my first three months in this job, you don't want to know how many phone calls and video calls I had. I interviewed everybody on the marketing team from the lowly copywriter, all the way up to, you know, my second in in command. You interview everybody in the sales org. That's key. Uh you interview everybody in customer success. I mean, and obviously, if you're at a three thousand person company, you can't interview everybody. But the, you get the point. You interview the key people, yeah, who actually you know are feet on the street and can have a take and an insight. That's the big thing. And then you interview your customers, and then you interview your prospects. And what you're trying to find is there were some recurring key points. Well, you know the product. Isn't competitive or we don't have any, our messaging stinks or we spam too much or we don't communicate enough or we don't teach them or no one's talking about us in the various communities or tribes. The list goes on. Those are all the intangibles because your hot mess starts there. You're going to get so much feedback from that drives the tangibles because now you've got symptoms that you're tangibly looking for based okay. on the intangibles you just discerned you can start looking at the metrics which is where the RevOps role comes into play if you don't have a RevOps team folks we need to have a conversation if you still have marketing ops and sales ops or web ops separate that's mm-hmm. not optimal you need a single source of truth and they all need to be talking to each other so then, then I'm looking at just the basics, you know, how long is my sales cycle? How, and I'm looking at my results versus benchmarks in the industry where okay. possible. And if you can't get those benchmarks, then you start talking to other people, including don't hesitate to pick up the phone and call your competition. Trust me, they're as lost as you are, and they would love to compare <laughs> notes. All right? I just want you to know that. They're not evil. They got the same job you got. You can do it off. You can do it, you know, on, on the down low if you want to, but yeah. it would be worth your time. And I just look at the buyer's journey. You know, how long is the sales cycle? Uh, how many touches are required? What are the conversion rates? What's the handoff between a lead coming in and someone actually reaching out to them? Is it five minutes? Is it five days? I could go on, right? But you get the idea. What's your open rates? What's your click through rates? Again, how does this comparing? How long to to, to actually? Uh, you know, what's your sales framework and what's your conversion rate? So now we're doing funnel math through the whole process. Yep. And and the list goes on. You know, how long to onboard them? How long? Uh, before you actually, you know, break even on the invested revenues versus the customer acquisition costs, what's their lifetime value? And there's going to be like a thousand red flags that come up on that process. And that's okay. But at the end of the day, you're going to live off lots of key. Metrics. You're going to live off of not just MRR, but you're going to look at NRR, for example. That's a big red flag. What's my net revenue after churn and everything else? Yep. Like, you know, is it 75% versus 125%? That's a big difference. Because yep. you may find it's not sales and marketing may be rocking. Customer success may be killing you and everybody's churning. Who knows, right? So you look at all the big, as I call them, the TLA KPIs, the three-letter acronym, Key Performance Indicators. And that's it. It's it's it, And this all goes back to exactly what Jeff just said, which is doing the work. It is amazing how many executives I talk to. And if I were to say to you, can you please tell me exactly your buyer's journey? And if and along the way, if I stop and say to you, okay, so now when you go from step one to step two, what's the convert? What's the percentage that, that's converting from step one to step two? Yep. And they look at you the blank face and they say, I have to get back to you. Okay, if that's the case, you didn't do the work. All right. Yep. So the last thing is it's all about intelligence. So if you're going to make changes, can you measure and discern the impact in 30, 60, 90 days to you know if this was a good change? Or a bad change, right? And it sounds so simple, so rudimentary, but so many systems are messed up. So many companies are to this day are still running their organization on spreadsheet using data that's 45 to 60 days old, that's compiled from multiple sources, that you can't make fast enough decisions that are informed and it it's it's way too long. So that's the process. I know I've told you the obvious, but it is just as simple as that. We literally we literally, the other day, we went through, I had eight people together. Okay, guys, you talk about definition of uh, of life in this current era. Eight people together across the globe. I was starting at six in the morning. Some of my colleagues were starting at three in the afternoon mm-hmm. on this eight-hour day. And we just went piece by piece by piece through our buyer's journey. Okay, they fill out this form. What happens when they fill out this form? if what is the data we're asking? Is that the same data that we're capturing in the sign-up process in the free trial versus yep. say they're signing up for our webinar? Why not? It, you know, it just goes through everything blow by blow. It was painful as hell. But when it was all said and done, it was dynamic because all eight people learned a boatload of stuff because we all tend to know just our little piece of the pie. right? And afterwards, they were like, oof, common mistakes we had. Sounds stupid. Where someone were to sign up for a free trial of the software, okay, well now we're going to get they're going to get hammered with a whole bunch of in-app messages. Have you tried this? Have you tried this? They're going to get hammered by the marketing nurture, and you're going to simultaneously get hammered by the sales sequence. And oh, At by the, the way, time. we're still going to invite you to all the webinars and the newsletters. Our unsubscribe rate was through the roof. No <laughs> wonder our buyer's journey sucked and we weren't getting the number we wanted to. But every single function thought they were doing the right thing.
0: Right, because they so weren't talking across functions. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and that's, that's the reality of things. Okay. So last two questions, because I want to be respectful of your time as well as uh, our guest times. So top three KPIs you would use to give your revenue f- engine, rev engine, a report card. What would those be?
1: Customer acquisition costs. CAC. Deal velocity. Okay. Which you probably don't see often, I bet you. I like, he's, 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 he's see how he's not saying anything, folks? <laughs> No, I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to judge that you. That was
0: not that was not an agreement or disagreement. <laughs> I'm, lis- I'm listening to I'm listening yeah, to yeah, the I expert. Know. I'm
1: giving you grief. <laughs> um, and then the last would be average selling price.
0: Okay. Okay. I, I would agree that I think those was solid. I mean, obviously every business is different, but I like having these conversations because I think many of us get caught up in analysis paralysis or we don't do the work and we just look at very top line numbers. So I think having this kind of short list of like, how do I assess the health of my revenue engine? Like, what does that look like? And obviously you're gonna do deeper dive into figuring out what's going on. But I think that, you know, those three KPIs kind of are a good conversation to start. So last question before we close out, so, you've done your kind of health assessment, so to say. What do you spend the most of your time coaching your head of marketing, head of sales for their individual functions? What kind of conversations are you having as a CRO that come up over and over again for each functional leader? Because I assume they would be different.
1: Yeah. So, for my head of sales, it's about how can you scale constantly? So, how can you scale? How can you scale? Okay. How can you scale? What does it use of technology, uh, project management, standard procedures? And then also for the, head of, for the head of marketing would also be, the second part would be, is the team aligned? Are they working at cross-function purposes or not? For the head of sales, it's as simple as make over and over again, making sure that A, there's a proven repeatable framework in place and B, they are truly following it and not taking shortcuts. Okay. It's over. And then what are they doing to make sure that the reps are doing that? And then the one thing that is shared across both, and this is really important, is all about accountability. So if people are not doing what you're coaching them, you cannot give them 42 chances because you're afraid of conflict and they're your buddies. You literally say, are you following the process of, you know, you got a 30, 60, 90 day review cycle or two quarters, whatever it is. And then we start with the, uh, you know, one, two uh, or three strikes and then you're out. And yeah. then because we need to have the right. People in the right bus. And I find most leaders need to be heavily encouraged to actually replace people because that's not our tendency. We want to avoid that conflict. Right. And it's just a statement that when I replace people, it's not because I'm a bastard. It's just that not everybody's going to be a fit for our organization. They may be great right. somewhere else. Right. And it's incumbent upon us to stop giving them 42 chances because all you're doing is making your life hell, making their life hell and the company's paying the price. So it's teaching them literally how to be very clear on managing, uh, setting accountability, setting expectations, holding people accountable, and then if it doesn't work out, making the decision to move on.
0: I love it. Well, Mr. Prail, I appreciate you for taking the time to talk to us. I, I think we covered a lot of great topics that I think is, are, are, to be honest with you, really timely and relevant for what folks are dealing with today. Any last thoughts on sales leaders, marketing leaders, CROs that are in this midst of kind of Re-evaluating their revenue engine, maybe even re-evaluating their go-to-market strategy. Any any last uh, tips, tricks, thoughts before we close out?
1: Yeah, I mean, here's what I've learned over time. Okay, my number one attribute and strength I have is being self-aware, which means I know where I suck, I know where I'm good, and I know that I can either invest time to you know increase my knowledge and education, which is one way. You know, Jeff going to get his MBA in marketing is a great example of that, or I can hire. To compliment me, be self aware. There's no ego play here. You do not need to have all the answers. No one's expecting you to have all the answers. Build the team you need to succeed. They're looking at you. If you lead from a position of humility and self awareness, it is amazing the quality of people you will attract and who will be loyal and who will go to the wall for you because they feel like you're a great, approachable human leader. Don't be the control freak. Just don't do that. That's my advice. Yeah. Love it. Well,
0: Dale, again, thank you for the time. I think you've given some really insightful, actionable insights for folks that listen to the podcast. And I can't wait to share this with the world. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Red Engine Podcast. I hope today's episode provided you with some actionable insights that will help you begin the process of transforming your organization to a high-performing revenue engine. If you found today's episode valuable, we ask that you support the show's growth in three ways. First, share the episode with your friends and colleagues. Second, follow me on social media at Meet Jeff Davis on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And finally give us feedback on who you'd like to see on the show next. That's all for this episode. We look forward to having you join us next time where we continue the conversation on how to build a high-performing revenue engine.